If you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians 8, I invite you to keep them there. And if you haven't turned there yet, I invite you to do so with me. Last week, we started our new series on the Christian life. And Pastor Brandon preached on the new birth from John 3, teaching us about the beginning of the Christian life. And most importantly, that our salvation belongs to God. This morning, I will continue that series on the topic of stewardship, the privilege of the Christian life. As many of you know, sadly and unfortunately, depressingly, if that's a word, this is my family's last Sunday at Liberty Baptist Church. We'll pull out of our driveway Tuesday morning for me to take on a new pastoral role at Grace Bible Church in Oxford, Mississippi. So I've known for some time now that June 26 would be my last Sunday with this church family, a group of people that we have come to love very much. I've also known for quite some time that I would be preaching on my last Sunday here, so I've had some time to think about what my parting words might be. However, it seemed best just to treat this Sunday like any other Sunday. My goal in this pulpit has always been to make God's word clear, understandable, and applicable to your lives, and that's what I plan to do today as well. Besides, I have no issues to take with you on my way out, no punches to throw, No bridges to burn. I only have love to give, and I can't think of anything more loving to do than open God's word and simply preach the next sermon. Before we knew we were going to be leaving for Mississippi, though, I knew I wanted to soon preach on this topic of stewardship, on giving, a topic that I think is often overlooked, undertreated, misunderstood, and unapplied to the Christian life in the way that it should be, that is, if we are honest with ourselves. And I do realize the stigma that it is for a pastor to preach on tithing or giving. To many, it might seem a little self-serving for a shepherd to tell his flock that they should be giving to the church and maybe even giving more. But the more I've thought about it, it isn't self-serving at all. As one of your lay elders, you do not pay me. (laughs) This sermon, whatever the result is in your life, won't make me any richer or any of the other elders any richer. Our lot here is preaching the gospel to you for free. And even if I was paid by the church, again, it's my last Sunday. (laughs) I don't think many of you would be, but if you're worried that my goal is to guilt you or manipulate you into giving more to the church or to thinking that you're living a sinful life because you're not giving more to the church, then that is not the case this morning. What I hope to do today by walking through our text is take away some of the misconceptions we might have about giving. Too often, churches and pastors have made giving feel only like an obligation, a duty, a responsibility, or a command to follow. We end up giving, in that case, begrudgingly instead of happily. We end up giving because we think we have to, not because we get to. What I want you to see this morning is that as 2 Corinthians 8.4 tells us, giving is a privilege. Stewardship is a privilege. It is a benefit to us. It is an honor that God would allow us the opportunity to give back freely in light of the fact that he has so freely given so much to us. It is an honor that we get to help others in need to further the commission that God has given us to make disciples of all nations. Before we get into our text, though, I must share with you that this passage has been one of the hardest ones I've ever had to move from the study to the pulpit. Sermon points weren't just popping off the page during my preparation this past week. I had to labor diligently over this text, maybe even more than I normally do, 
Because Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 8, as is the case with much of the New Testament, these are words that are contextually set. The advice and the recommendations that John just read for us, they are given specifically to the Corinthian church. For they're giving specifically to the Jerusalem believers, motivated in part by the example of the Macedonians giving. Yet I do believe there are principles here for us to apply to our own giving today. The central idea that I want to leave you with today, that I want you to leave with thinking about, is that sacrificial giving is a mark of those who have received God's grace. Sacrificial giving is a mark of those who have received God's grace. As I look to show you that central idea from the text, there are some basic principles I want to note along the way, 11 to be in fact. Yes, I said 11, but don't worry. I know we've got our children in here this morning and my children are in the second service, so I better get through these post-haste. So before that, though, a further word is needed on the context of our passage. So I want you to allow me to walk back through the passage to just explain a bit more what's going on before we try to pull principles out for us to apply today. Paul starts, if you look at verse 1, by referencing the Macedonian believers. These are churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. We can read about these churches in other places in the New Testament. We can see the level of suffering and persecution and famine and hardship they faced. Yet Paul notes in verse 1, the grace of God given to them. But we soon come to find that the grace he speaks of has to do with their generosity. God has enabled these people by his grace to give sacrificially. Paul notes that these people have been through an immensely hard season in verse 2. Look at the phrases he uses there. Severe trial, affliction, extreme poverty. Yet, he says they also have abundant joy. He says the result of all this has been a wealth of generosity on their part. Affliction results in joy. Poverty results in generosity. They're living in a paradox. In verse 3, Paul describes the extent of their giving. It was definitely according to their ability or means. That is, the, the Macedonians were not holding back more for themselves than they needed, yet it was also beyond their ability, Paul says, meaning that they gave even more than is normally expected of a group of people, maybe even troubling themselves to take care of the dire need in Jerusalem. This need that they're addressing, this giving Paul has in mind in this chapter, is not a general need. He, he's not speaking about the undesignated church budget here. Rather, Paul is speaking about the years-long campaign he had had to help the persecuted believers in Jerusalem, a struggling church. At the end of verse 3, Paul says the Macedonians gave to the Jerusalem church of their own accord, noting in verse 4 as well that they actually begged Paul for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. Their giving was so abundant that Paul can say in verse 5 that they had given themselves first to the Lord and then to them. He's, he's saying that much should be obvious. This gift of theirs was only something God could have motivated. When Paul looks at what they've done, his conclusion is only God could lead a church to do such a thing. Only a church who has given themselves to the Lord could give in the way that the Macedonians have given. And then he turns to the Corinthians in verse 6, calling them to complete among themselves this same act of grace. See, at the end of his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 16, 1 through 4, 
Paul called them to intentionally set aside regularly funds to help the Jerusalem believers. And now, in a second letter, he is telling them to finish the task they started. What they were asked to do and what they were clearly committed to do, as later verses tell us. So what we know so far is that the Macedonians weren't even asked to give, but instead had to beg for the opportunity to give, and they're giving above their means. The Corinthians, on the other hand, were asked to give, but were supposedly giving below their means if they were still giving anything at all. So in verse 10, Paul says, you have begun last year to do something, but you still need to finish the task, verse 11 says. There was an eagerness and a desire to do something, but it wasn't showing itself in action in the Corinthian church. So Paul tells them in verse 7 that just as you excel in all of these other areas in life, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in diligence, so too excel in this act of grace. So his wording is strong. He is saying that this should be the norm here. But yet at the same time, Paul doesn't make it a rule. He doesn't make it a commandment. He doesn't require them to do this. He doesn't obligate them or coerce them. In verse 8, he literally tells them, I am not saying this as a command. Instead, the opportunity to give, he says, is a test of the genuineness of your love. It's an opportunity to show that you're ready to give in the same way that Christ willingly gave himself. And in verse 9, we have one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. Paul writes it to give a reason for our sacrificial giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Remember the central idea. Sacrificial giving is a mark of those who have received God's grace. Paul essentially says to the Corinthians in verse 9, show that you have freely received by freely giving yourselves. In the end, Paul makes clear how much they are to give, even though he doesn't give a specific number, amount, or percentage. Verse 12 says it, according to what a person has. The Corinthians, who were noteworthy for having an abundance of riches, were to relieve their brothers and sisters in hardship. Paul asked them essentially, would you intend to live with a surplus when there are other believers starving and struggling? The goal for their stewardship is verse 15, where Paul quotes from Exodus 16. The person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. So now that we have come to understand a bit more Paul's specific admonition to the Corinthians in the context of that passage, I want us to note 11 principles we can apply to our own practice of stewardship, to our own practice of giving. These principles don't exhaust everything that we should know about giving or everything that we should apply in our giving, but they are a good start. So first principle, sacrificial giving is concerned with God's people. Sacrificial giving is concerned with God's people. Notice in verse 1 who Paul is talking to. He says, brothers and sisters. He's writing to brothers and sisters in the faith in Corinth and asking them to help other brothers and sisters in the faith in Jerusalem, fellow saints who need to be ministered to in this moment in their lives. The ask that Paul is making throughout our passage is specifically for fellow Christians. The surplus of one church is to go and help offset the needs of another sister church. 
This doesn't mean that believers cannot help unbelievers. We should help unbelievers and give to the needy, especially as it's a means to serve them while we share the gospel with them. However, the focus of this chapter, as well as the following one, is help for God's people. And I think it can be argued from elsewhere in Scripture that we should think first about those who are among us and need our help before we start looking to extend ourselves to everyone outside of the church. Today, like then, we should take care to concern ourselves with fellow believers as we think about how we might sacrificially give some of what the Lord has blessed us with. Sacrificial giving is concerned with God's people. Second, sacrificial giving is motivated by grace. Sacrificial giving is motivated by grace. From the very first verse, Paul notes that the Macedonians' generosity is of the grace of God. He's saying it's only possible because of him. The world watches on at this type of sacrificial giving and wonders, why are they giving what they earn to help others who haven't earned it? It isn't logical to most unbelievers. Verse 5 says that the Macedonians, before giving themselves to others, first gave themselves to the Lord. Commenting on this, Kendall easily says, when believers offer themselves wholly to the Lord, they have no difficulty and offering their wallets to him as well. What this means, too, is that there is no room for boasting either about our giving or how much we give. If not for the grace that we've received, we would lack the motivation needed to show God's grace to others in such a tangible way. There is no patting yourself on the back for what you give to the church or what you give to those in need. So if you need to grow in your giving, it could be worth strategically thinking about how you might give more, where that giving would go, and how much you might give. I don't want to knock that, but it could be even more worthwhile for you every day to ponder on God's grace given to you. Let that be the ongoing foundation and motivation to give so freely because you know of the grace and the mercy and the love that God has bestowed on you in Jesus Christ. Sacrificial giving is motivated by grace. Third, sacrificial giving is not circumstantial. This sermon is for college students, for retired people, for people who are climbing the corporate ladder, people just working their day-to-day jobs. It's for stay-at-home moms. Sacrificial giving is not circumstantial. Believers are tempted to think that there are going to be times in their life of great struggle, difficulty, trial, and hardship where they cannot give as much as they might normally give. Or maybe they decide in those seasons of life not to give at all. And we try to justify it. I know that I've tried to justify it as well, saying things like, once I get back to financial health, then I'll start giving again. Then I'll start giving more. Once I get that pay raise, then I'll start my tithing again. Notice the Macedonian circumstances. Paul says in verse 2 that their lot was extreme poverty. But how did they respond? A wealth of generosity. I don't know the situation that all of you are facing, but I doubt that there are many people who could say that their situation in life financially is extreme poverty. But even if it was, what is the response here of the Macedonians? A wealth of generosity. The word wealth here doesn't signify any kind of amount. Paul isn't impressed by a particular number. He has marveled at their open-hearted and open-handed attitude despite their trials. 
They haven't let their circumstances change their posture or attitude toward giving what God has already given them. Church, do not allow your circumstances to dictate how much you're willing to steward for God's people and God's purposes. Whether you find yourself rich or poor or somewhere in the middle right now, you should still be marked by sacrificial giving as someone who has received God's grace. Fourth, sacrificial giving is proportionate. Inevitably, in a sermon on giving, I'm probably expected to speak to the question of how much am I supposed to give? What I find interesting is that if there were ever a place in the New Testament where Paul could have implemented the 10% tithe from the Old Testament, this would have been the place to do it. Yet, he doesn't. And I, too, won't put any expectation or burden on you of the Old Testament 10% tithe. Personally, you are allowed to hold to that interpretation if you want, but I'll put my cards on the table and say that I don't see the evidence in the New Testament and the New Covenant that it does. Instead, Paul says our giving should be proportionate to what God has given us. There is no specific amount mentioned. There is no percentage spoken of. Paul simply states that they gave according to their ability and even beyond their ability. He then tells the Corinthians in verse 12 that gifts are acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is worth asking of yourself and your family, are we giving according to our ability? Are we able at this point in life, maybe even, to give more than is our ability? For some of you, doing this might entail an exact 10% tithe. However, it could be 5, 15, 25% or some other number. Dream with me for a moment. Imagine God were to one day bless you with a job of making $1 million per year. That's like three tanks of gas at this point. <laughs> Think through this question with me though. Is it the Lord's intention in blessing you in that way that you would need $900,000 per year for your own needs? Or might it be that he's enabled you to give above and beyond your means when others aren't able to give in the same way? Simply put, church, what I'm trying to say is that there could come some point in your lives or careers where 10% is not proportionate to what the Lord has blessed you with. Don't forget the widow's offering in Mark 12, 41 through 44. Though many rich people were giving large amounts, this woman was only able to give a few cents, yet her giving was commended, Jesus says, because the rich gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had to live on. Our Father in heaven looks not at the amount we give, but where our hearts are when we give. As Paul goes on to say in the next chapter, verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart to give, for God loves a cheerful giver. As the pastors have mentioned before, it would be worth it for you to sit down and think about how you might give more rather than spend more, how you might give more rather than save more. Of course, spending and saving are not bad things in and of themselves, but I encourage you to make it a practice in your life to think first about giving and second about spending and saving. Fifth, sacrificial giving is self-initiated. It is self-initiated. In one sense, a sermon like this shouldn't even be needed. In fact, this is likely the reason we don't preach on giving as much as we might could. Sacrificial giving should be normally self-initiated. When you have received such grace, it compels you to give. Notice what Paul says about the Macedonians giving in verse 3. It was of their own accord. 
He says in verse 4, they begged us earnestly to give. He notes their diligence in verse 8 to give when there was a clear need presented. So church, instead of waiting to be asked to give, and at times you might be asked to give, seek out ways for how you might give and serve others by your own initiative. Consider missionaries you might support, or missionaries you might support more than you currently do. Consider ministries that you can regularly give to. Consider families who in our church who might be blessed with an unsolicited gift. Consider a designated fund of our church where you might give above your means for a season in life. Praise God, as Pastor Stephen prayed, that Roe v. Wade was overturned last week. Consider how you might give to ministries and organizations that seek to speak up for the unborn. Think about how you might give to organizations like Liberty Women's Clinic. Think about adoption agencies and families you can give to so that children are not aborted but are instead adopted into families. I also can promise you that if you fail led to earnestly beg the elders of Liberty Baptist for ways you might give, we, like Paul, can find a way to put those gifts to use. Sixth, sacrificial giving is a privilege. I've said this already, but it bears repeating again. The sermon title itself points to this. As verse 4 says, sharing in this giving ministry to the saints is a privilege. We must start seeing giving as a privilege and not as an obligation. I think this is why Paul is so careful throughout our text to not make the Corinthians give out of compulsion. Rather, he seeks to remind them of God's grace and of God's gospel in hopes that this might change their giving practices. Sacrificial giving is a privilege. Seventh, sacrificial giving is ministry. It is ministry. All believers, every member of this church is called to ministry. A part of the elder's job here at Liberty Baptist is to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that you might join with us in the work of ministry. But please know this, that ministry isn't just preaching or teaching. It isn't just leading. It isn't just being on a church staff one day. Ministry isn't just leading a small group. It isn't just going on a mission trip or doing evangelism. It isn't just serving on a volunteer team at our church or maybe being a ministry team lead. In our context, or in this text, giving sacrificially is described as ministry. Do you want to be a faithful minister for the Lord? Consider giving sacrificially. Eighth, sacrificial giving is about action, not desire. Church, who doesn't want to give more? Of course, many of us envy those who seem to have wealth where they can bless whoever they want, whenever they want, with however much they want. But we cannot get caught up in only wanting to give. We can't just have the desire to give or dream about what it must be like to give. We eventually must do it with however much or little the Lord has given us in his providence. The Corinthians in verse 6 have to be urged to complete what they have begun under Titus' direction. In verse 7, they have to be told to excel also in this act of grace. They have to be told, don't just find satisfaction in what you're doing well, seek also to do this thing. There are a host of things that Liberty Baptist Church could likely say it is doing well, but if we are not giving well, then we need to consider excelling also in this act of grace. In verse 10, the Corinthians have to be reminded that it is actually profitable for them to finish what they started, to finish what they clearly wanted to do. 
How contrary this seems, but Paul uses this word intentionally. Yes, Corinthians, you giving more money away is actually more profitable for you. Paul sums this thought up in verse 11. Finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion. Church members, I don't simply want you to leave this service today with a greater desire or eagerness to give. Certainly that's a part of what I would want. That's a part of what the elders would want. But it isn't the only thing I want. What I desire is that you would be one who acts on the call to give. One of the most immediate applications you might make after the benediction today is writing a check, pulling cash out of your wallet, or going to lbcliberty.org slash give. As James 1 tells us, don't be a hearer of the word only, be a doer of the word. But please, let me call our attention again to the reason we are able to give. Let me call our attention to why we not only hear the word, but do what it says. Ninth, sacrificial giving is a picture of the gospel. Again, we have one of the most beautiful summaries of the gospel in verse 9. It's worth reading again in full. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. How is this a summary of the gospel? Paul says Christ was rich. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. For all eternity and before he became incarnate, Jesus was and he was glorious. He was rich, as Paul says. But Christ became poor. Christ took on human flesh. Though presented with opportunities to sin, he never did. He lived a perfect life. He walked among us, and not only that, but he was esteemed not. And there was nothing magnificent about his outward appearance or where his origins were or where he came from. Christ became poor for us. We were poor, Paul says. In and of ourselves, we are a sinful and dead people. We are separated from God, headed toward eternal death. But in Christ, we became rich. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, we have a new life. We are a new creation. We are able to be born again. We are reconciled to God through our union with Christ, having received the riches of his righteousness. And now we are headed away from eternal death and toward eternal life. When we give, motivated by Christ's work, it serves as a picture and reminder of the gospel. It's a testimony to unbelievers watching that the gospel changes you. It makes you do crazy things. It's evidence of our salvation that we give because we've so freely received. How can we who have received such good things deny the opportunity to give ourselves? David Garland says it well. When we have been the beneficiaries of such undeserved grace, how can true Christians shut their hearts or purses to brothers and sisters in need or begrudge every penny they may share with others. God's lavishness in the gift of grace and the depths of Christ's sacrifice requires that Christians be liberal in their giving to others. A half-hearted response ill befits the total sacrifice that Christ made for us. Sacrificial giving is a picture of the gospel. Tenth, sacrificial giving is focused on others' well-being. 
In these last few verses, Paul speaks multiple times of one of the primary aims in all of this giving, equality. In verse 13, he writes to clarify the the goal here is not that he wants the Corinthians and the Jerusalem believers to swap places for the Corinthians to become poor and the Jerusalem believers to become rich. He doesn't want the Corinthians to take on hardship and just simply pass on relief to Jerusalem. Rather, he says it's a question of equality. This giving is to be done, according to verse 14, so that there may be equality. So is Paul a commie? I mean, is he a communist, a, a socialist? Is he claiming that it's right for us to take from the wealthy simply to give to the poor? I don't think so. Jerusalem isn't about to start living the high life because of these gifts. Put simply, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem had a great need. Context tells us they were likely in the midst of a famine, might have literally been starving. There was also some other long-standing need we're unaware of as Paul has had to make this a years-long campaign to help these people. And the church in Jerusalem couldn't look to the government, to family, to friends, to strangers. They had to look to the church. A new family that Christ had purchased with his blood, consisting of the Jews from Jerusalem and the Gentiles from Corinth. Paul seems to be implicitly asking here, if God has abundantly blessed you, might it not be for the purpose of helping those who have not been blessed in the same way? Might God sovereignly use a stable church and people as the means for blessing a needy church and people? The equality is concerned with the well-being of others. It is one where no one is starving and no one is hoarding. Christians in good conscience should not be okay with living lives of extreme abundance when there are brothers and sisters close to them who can't even get food on the table at no fault of their own. And remember, though you might have the surplus now, you might one day be the one in need. And so Paul writes in verse 14, at the present time, your surplus is available for their need so that their abundance may in turn meet your need. Sacrificial giving is focused on others' well-being. Eleventh, I don't think I've ever used that word in a sermon. (laughs) Eleventh and finally, sacrificial giving is a means of God's grace. Three times, Paul calls this sacrificial giving an act of grace. God, using his own people, cares for his own people. Paul references an Old Testament story in this last verse. When manna was coming down from heaven in Exodus, there were some who took too much for themselves and some who took too little, yet God was still sovereignly at work to make sure his people were all supplied equally. God provided equally for his people in this Exodus 16 context, even though there were some who had gathered too little and some who had gathered too much. And the church should mirror this. Though some might make too little and some might make too much, Our aim should be a kind of equality where Christians make sure that none of them are living in too great of an abundance while others, brothers and sisters, are desperately in need of aid. May it be said of Liberty Baptist that we have felt the effect of the gospel so much and care for our people so well that verse 15 is the testimony of our church. The person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. As we look to close, I'd love to share with you what John Calvin wrote when he summarized this text. Let those then that have riches, whether they have been left by inheritance or procured by industry and efforts, 
Consider that their abundance was not intended to be laid out in intemperance or excess, but in relieving the necessities of the brethren. My prayer for you, Liberty Baptists, is that like the Macedonians here, you will be motivated by God's grace to show God's grace to others in your generosity. That you would, too, give far more generously than was thought you could. That you, too, would give without prompting. That you would give with insistence and initiative. And that you would give without limit. In a way that makes a watching world say, God must have changed these people. We have reason to believe that the Corinthians thankfully followed through. In chapter 9, Paul tells us the results of this kind of sacrificial giving. He's expecting that it will happen. If we choose to live lives of sound stewardship as well, then this can also be our reality. So I'll close with the words of 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession to the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, we simply ask that you would give us a fresh reminder every day of the grace that you have so freely given us and that this would motivate us to be those who sacrificially give just in light of how much you've given us. Father, we pray that this gospel from your word has been clear this morning. Maybe even that unbelievers here would have the gospel clear for the first time in their lives and couldn't help but respond in faith and repentance. Father, we pray that you would move by the Spirit's power to help us to live a sanctified life for you, giving in light of what you've given us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.